Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We have just begun last week our study of the Gospel of John in chapter 15. And if you have a Bible, let me invite you to get it out. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible probably in the chair rack in front of you. So slide one out and look for John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you can count to chapter 15. And if you will, you can even go right to verse 1. Although we covered some verses already last week, you might want to just jump there so you could be right at the beginning with the rest of us. Also last week I told you that the week before I spent some time outside of Houston, Texas in a place called Crosby, Texas as I was participating in the memorial service of our dear friend Richard Schumann. And I was looking out over the crowd as they had all of us that were going to be presenters of this up on the stage and I was looking at the crowd and different ones were getting up then and doing a kind of an explanation on the life of Richard Schumann. And those of you who don't know Richard, don't worry about that. You don't need to know him personally to know a little bit about what this service was about. As I sat there, the very first person that got up was his brother and talked about the great influence that Richard had on him as a young man. And then I heard different sons would get up. And the sons weren't just from him. There were also sons from his wife, Marlene, because both of their mates passed away and they married each other. But they married with seven kids from one family and six from the other. Can you imagine getting married and having instantly 13 kids? And you have to understand they were all in the house at the same time. Now, I'd like to know how they fed everybody, probably in shifts. I don't know. But they got up and they shared about... Richard Schumann and the influence that he had on them in the area of the world of work, the work ethic, how that he would always pray, how that he is always pointing people to the joy, to a cup being half full, everything of those that you already know about him. So as I was listening to him, I was listening really to his influence, but his influence was through his fruit, you know, the fruit. In other words, what was the result of his life would be these people in his life, and then from that would be what he did in their lives as far as influence. And I got thinking about my own family, and maybe you are as well. What kind of influence, what kind of fruit are we going to have? Well, in Scripture, it talks about that. Sometimes, if you lead someone to the Lord, that person becomes, in a sense, your fruit. Although the Lord did all of the work, you would kind of are partnering that, and it's referred to as your fruit. Scripture says that. Sometimes, it's going to be the fruit of praise. At that moment, even though Richard couldn't hear the praise, these people were in a sense praising the Lord, but also praising Richard. And there's a form of fruit, and the fruit of the praise of a thanksgiving in their heart. Well, the Lord says our fruit sometimes is our heart that says thank you to the Lord for who He is and what He's done for us. But then there's also the fruit that we become very much like them. It was interesting as I was watching his sons, I hung around more of his sons and his daughters, and each one of them were carrying on the characteristic of the dad, very friendly very kind, focused on the Lord, but always a teaser. Do you know what I mean by a teaser? If you know Richard, he would take anything you say, spin it into something funny to always have the joy of the Lord. Again, a little bit of what we saw in Richard, how he looked, of course, but also how he acted, and the influence that he had was now found in his fruit. Now, why am I telling you all of that? That's very similar to what the Lord really demands and expects out of all of us. In fact, in John chapter 15, we're coming to the seventh of the seven I am's where the Lord is explaining who he is and each one of those I am's is like another facet of a diamond that makes the Lord even more sparkling to us 
And if you remember the first one, it talked about how that he said that he is really the, the bread of light. And how that if you eat of him, you won't get hungry again. He talked about him being the light of the world. And then he talked about him being the gate. And then him being the good shepherd. And then him being the resurrection and the life. And then him being the way, the truth, and the life. And then it ends with saying, I am the vine. And I like that especially because predominantly all the others are talking about you coming to the Lord and you being saved, you trusting Christ, having sins forgiven, and an eternal relationship with Him. This one now talks about how that you can have not only that eternal relationship, but a truly fulfilled life. And so he begins this chapter by talking about three relationships. The first relationship is going to be about himself. Later on in the chapter, he's going to talk about relationship with others and how that we're needing to love them. And then finally he ends with our relationship with the world, which is kind of different because now he talks about how the world will hate you the more you're like Christ and you speak for Christ. So what do we do? We still tell the world about Jesus Christ. So three great relationships are found in this chapter alone. But today we want to talk about abiding in him. To do that, we have to understand that there are three different components in this. The first is going to be the gardener, or the one that would be the vine dresser, and that would be the Lord. Then we know that the vine is Jesus Christ, and we're the branches. So as we stay vitally connected to the vine, that vine dresser, God the Father, will then begin to prune us, because we're going to need pruning in our lives. And when he prunes us, it's necessary in order for us to bear more fruit. But also when we are pruned, we know that it's going to hurt. And many times there are people that when God begins to work in our life, there is that pruning. But remember, it's pruning, not punishment. And when he prunes you, it's only so that you could bear more fruit. And really, I think the greatest fruit is to have the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the character of Christ to have an influence on other people for the glory of God. And so that fruit is now born in our life as he begins to prune. But when he prunes, what does he use as his pruning shears? Well, obviously, he can use circumstances of every day. Every day, something can happen in your world that will change your world dramatically, where he begins to prune. And then he begins to maybe use major circumstances that things begin to either pile up all at once, or maybe they're just one big thing. But all of it, watch this, is not about those events that we now look at and we get down about. All of those events that happen are part of his handles of the pruning shears, but the real pruning is the Word of God that cuts us deep within us. And it brings out the good in us. It cuts out the bad. It brings us to a heart of submission to him. And when we're doing that by abiding in him, the result will be more fruit, whatever that fruit might be. It might be someone will come to know the Lord. It might be another opportunity to praise the Lord. It might be an opportunity for us to grow and to show forth the fruit of the Spirit of love toward one another. This last two weeks have been an incredible pruning time for Carol and me. Within two weeks, our vacuum cleaner died. Our sewing machine died, which isn't too big of a deal for me, but it is a huge deal for Carol. But then Carol called me on Monday after she finished cleaning the house. She said, I just got done. I went into the kitchen and there was this oozy stuff on the kitchen floor, realizing that we haven't used our refrigerator since the day before, and now it had died on us. So we had three things die on us. And then those of you that have been writing me emails, I want to thank you for those emails, all that. But if you've noticed you haven't gotten many from me, it's because my email thing is not working where I can't send it out for a week. And we get hundreds of emails from our radio program and those that are listening on the, on the Internet. That would be nothing more than circumstances in our lives like handles on pruning shears where the Lord was driving deep within our spirit. 
The end product was that when we purchased our refrigerator, the Lord gave us multiple discounts off of it. We were able to invite the lady who sold it to us, gave her a track, invited her to our night of delights. The two guys that delivered it, we were hearing reports that it's usually going to be a delivery from hell. Someone else got a refrigerator recently and they damaged it on the way in. They brought another one, they damaged that, and now they're without a refrigerator and they're getting another one. I thought, what is this going to be? These two guys came in. They haven't been on the island a full year yet. And both of them said that they are looking for a church. One lives out in Waianae, the other lives in Pearl City, and they just are looking for a church. And I said, I know a great church on this island, so I hope you'll come on Sunday. Can't say a whole lot about the preachers. Now, again, it's not about me. Here's what it is about. Those circumstances are bringing about opportunities for us to bring forth fruit and more fruit for Him. Now, once we begin doing that, driving us to the Word, what happens then? What would be the benefits of us now being pruned by the Lord and abiding in Him and bearing much fruit. Well, going back to our passage again, this rich passage where Jesus says, I am the vine, how can we bear more, let me say it this way, more influence? Praising the Lord is a form of influencing others because we're helping them focus our relationship on the Lord with them. Our influence is helping them come to faith in Christ. So whatever we are, it's all about Him. Our central life is Him. So how do we bear more fruit? What's the benefit of all this going on in our life of abiding in Him. I think this passage will speak to at least three benefits. And I'd like you to follow along as I read it to you. And then we're going to begin to pick it apart and give you some of the answers, all right? Going back to the passage, I'd like you to pick it up, if you don't mind, at verse 7, if you will. And here's what you'll read in verse 7. We're going to read from verse 7 through verse 11. It says, Jesus speaking to His disciples a few hours before He goes to the cross... They're now walking to the garden, so they're walking through a bunch of vineyards through the city of Jerusalem, and he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy might be in you, and that your joy may be made full or complete. So we're going to look at three byproducts of us abiding in the Lord, just from the promises that are found in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at the first one. I think it will be a great encouragement for all of us, and that is, if we're abiding in Him, we will have what is known as a fulfilling prayer life. Now look at that verse again, if you will, at verse 7. It says, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask what you wish, and it will be done for you. As I was looking through this, I started realizing the significance of God in His promises. Our praise team this morning was singing a, a particular praise song that was really wrapping up around a passage of Scripture that talked about how the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us and we can count on Him, which was a promise of His. The more I find that there's a promise and I trust that it is a promise from God that He will always keep, that causes me then to want to ask Him for things because I know that He is of integrity, He's of character, He's truthful. Now why am I telling you that? Because so many of us perhaps were reared in a home or a lifestyle that might have had challenges. We all have, I have, you have, we all have. And we might have had an authority figure in our life that made promises but didn't keep those promises. Or when they made the promise, they gave it to you in the big print, but they took it away in the small print. 
So after weeks, months, and years of this, it is so much caused within you an inability for you to trust those that are in authority figure, let alone even trust other people. So when you have that going on, it's very hard for you to ask because, you know, if you ask, you probably won't get it anyway. So you know what? Don't bother asking. Go get it yourself. And now we have this me first generation and we have the secular worldview that's basically taken over. And the Lord says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want you to know that I am one who will give a promise, I will make a promise, I will keep my promise because when I keep my promise and you come to me, that's what builds that intimacy, that's what builds that trust, that's what builds that relationship. So what I'm going to encourage you to do, strongly encourage you to do, do not see God through the eyes of whatever authority figures you might have had in the past or people who have let you down or even someone that maybe made a promise to you at the altar. What you want to do is to realize that, a, that we have a God, according to Titus chapter 1, who cannot lie. It is not any part of his very being to lie. He is the truth. And we know that God is truth, Jesus is truth, the Spirit is truth, so he cannot lie. So, for us... A byproduct of abiding in him means now whenever I pray because he is one who keeps his promise, he says whatever I ask, it will be done unto me. Now let me just share with you something you might do in your own time. Take that phrase, whatever you ask, whatever the word the Lord says he'll do, that's kind of a promise from him. Look at it how many times it's found in the gospel of John alone. And then find a wonderful thread of truth that's coming out of those four times, at least four times, he says, that whatever you ask, it'll be done unto you. Now, those of you that are on the other side of the journey of faith, you might be hearing, oh, yeah, whatever you ask of the Lord, it'll be done. So what is he, a genie in the bottle? I'm going to tell you he is a lot more than a genie in the bottle. However, when you read Scripture, that Scripture, and we call it systematic theology, Theology means that it's systematized all through Scripture. And so as you know Scripture, it takes on the, from the black and white to the full color and surround sound. So the phrase being, whatever you ask, has to be set not only in the context of that verse, but in the context of that passage, in the context of all Scripture. But just in John alone, it talks about whatever you ask in my name. Now again, I would encourage you to go back to one of the CDs, one of the sermons I preached about four or five weeks ago because we covered what would be the requirements to get your prayers answered. One of them would be in His name. In other words, you are praying as a believer in Christ on the authority of His name and who He is so that all glory would go to Him. Stay with me now. Two of the four times it's in the passage of asking whatever you want, the idea of God getting the glory through it all is found in that. So again, no matter what we go through, it's not so much that we get a new refrigerator. The issue is, is how can God get all the glory so whatever he might take away and he gives back to you, it's still all about him. So it's prayed in his name. Chapter 14, verse 13. But it also says that when we're praying, we're to pray in union with him. Go back to the passage. It says, if I abide in him, I like that. Go back to the passage. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, we've already covered that. He says, if I abide in you and my words abide in you, so the abiding of Christ and the abiding of his words inside of you, then whatever you ask will be done unto you. Now, how do we make sense out of that? Well, first of all, those of you, again, on the other side of faith, and you're kind of looking in to say, I really want to see if Christianity is real. And you're saying, well, Jesus is gone, so how can I really abide in him? And how can his words really abide? I don't understand all of that stuff. Well, I'll tell you, it is a mystery, and some of us who are believers, we're beginning to understand it, but we'll never fully understand it. To do that would be like going to the end of the Internet, and we'll never be able to get to the end of the Internet, and that's okay with me because His knowledge, His depth, His wisdom, His love is past finding out. But we do know this. We do know that 
we have what we call the living word and we have the written word the living word is the person of Jesus Christ he died and he rose again he is now at the right hand of the Father. He is very much alive. He is God. He is a person. There is an entity. He is not a whiff. He's not kind of a, a floater out there. He's not a ghost out there. He is a real being, a real entity. But we also have what is known as the living word and the written word. So now you have Jesus Christ, in a sense, through his word. So if you want to have Christ live within you, you trust Christ as your Savior. Watch this very carefully. He comes in you the moment you trust Christ. So he enters into you. You are born again. You cannot get rid of him. He will remain. However, now we do the abiding and letting him abide in us. So now once he's in us, we receive from him all that he has. So now we begin to bear fruit. So now I take his word and I'm going to put his word inside of me. So the more of his word I know correctly, to that degree I'll know Christ correctly. To the degree that I take his word and I let it have a controlling influence in my life. In other words, what it says I will think, say, and do by his power and for his glory. To that degree, I will become like Christ. No, it doesn't mean I'll walk on water. But my character will be like Christ. Now, to that degree that I let his words come and abide in me, to that degree now I'll be able to produce the fruit. So let's just talk one more time about the word abide. The word abide means to stay or it means to remain. When they delivered our refrigerator yesterday, these two guys came, kicked off their shoes, came in the house. They put all the stuff that they, were, that they needed to be in there. We gave them some, some, something to drink, all that kind of stuff you would do as your whole keeper, hospitality, took care of all of that. But after it was all done, they left, but Stan and Carol remained. Well, I want you to know the Lord doesn't come and visit. He comes and he remains. He abides. Now, when he abides in us, now he's feeling at home in us. Or is he? He lives within us. Now, does he feel at home in us? He says, I'm there to remain. Now, let me take control. And so I pretty much have the control of my house when Carol allows me. All right, so the point of the matter is, is that this is still my house. It's my kingdom, my castle. Now, I'm not saying that against Christ and all that. I know he, he controls and owns everything, but I think you understand the analogy. So now the Lord is within me. So now I can go to him and whatever I ask from him, it will be done unto me. Now later on in John, he says this, that I've chosen you. You haven't chosen me, that you would go and bear much fruit. That's a little bit different now. That fruit is now referring more towards reaching other people for Christ so you want to bear more fruit to reach out to them so again that happens all ask what you will and it will be done unto you bottom line is you might now take inventory on your prayer life have you been praying and if you have been praying do you feel like your prayers have not gone any higher than the ceiling of this room and if that's the case then you might ask yourself could it be that you might be a little off base in the area of the requirements that you need to be doing in order to have those prayers answered. Again, have you been praying in his name, with his authority, as a believer in Christ for his glory? Have you been praying with his words abiding in you and you abiding in him, you desiring him to have first place in your life as a believer in Christ? Have you been faithful because God has called you to bear more fruit, more influence, particularly in the unsaved community, an influence for Christ? Or are you a secret service Christian? And so you might be looking at some of these because a byproduct of truly abiding in Him will be a fulfilled prayer life. And prayer and promise often go together. 
And I'll tell you, he makes a promise, he keeps a promise. And because of that, will you believe the promise now? And if you do, when you ask, those prayers will be answered. I'll tell you, it's a wonderful experience that we as Christians have that we can go immediately to the throne of grace and talk to the God of the universe, our eternal God, who is not only our creator, he is also our father. And later on, we're going to learn how much he's our friend and how special he is is that. Well, that's only one byproduct. It goes a little bit deeper than that. You'll notice, too, that when we pray that there's three things that happen. One of those, I like this, is that God is glorified. We talked about that. We'll bear much fruit, but others will see that we're his disciple. But number two is we have a fruitful life. This passage really opens up to some very interesting truths when it talks about a fruitful life. Go back, if you will, just for a moment to just jump up to verse 7 at the first part. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, that's the key. That's the center thought of this whole passage. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Then go back now, if you will, to verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Now, abide in my love. If you will, pause for a moment on verse 9. You see where it says, Just as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. I think you're far enough along in your walk with the Lord to know that God the Father and God the Son are equal, but yet God the Father and God the Son are a little bit separate at this point. And so what's happening at this time is that the Father says, I love you, Jesus Christ. God of all loves Jesus Christ. Now, just as much as God loves Christ, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. If you're here today, and this last week you feel like you have been rejected or neglected by others, I want you to know that just as much as God loved the Son, God loves you. And so right now, instead of looking to others to fill your empty love tank, I'd like you to remember that He says, I love you, and allow His perfect, pure, eternal love fill your tank. Now this is key. So that when, you fill, when you're filled with the love of Christ, when you drink from the Lord, when He abides in you and His words uh, abide in you and you abide in Him, you have that love within you. So now here's what happens. When you go to work and the people don't give you the attention that you need, the respect that you would like, you come home and you don't get the love touches from the family like you would like. When you're experiencing perhaps a rejection or neglection from your parents... I want you to know that it's normal for us to want to have our tanks filled by them. The Lord tells us to love one another, but he also knows we live in a fallen world when that won't happen. So therefore he says, I love you. I will fill your tank. Be satisfied with my love. Now here's what happens. When we come to the point of letting his word abide in us, he abides in us. His love abides within us. We are so full of God, so full of Him, so full of love. So all of a sudden, our tank is completely full. So now, I really don't need the love of the others when they don't love me for that moment. Now, yes, it feels good when your mate comes up and hugs you and licks your face or whatever they do to say hello when you come home from work, whatever that might be. You feel good about that. That's normal. It's so nice when your kids are responsive to you and they come up to you. But when that doesn't happen... Our job as a Christian is the one to be the one to pour out the love of God on those that are around us. Now, here's the unique thing. When we do, we could never empty our love tank because God completely fills us with his love. So our love 
that we have is really his love within us so now we can reach out and to love those who do not love us back. Now you say, that is so supernatural, I can't understand it. For one reason, it may mean that you haven't received the love of God by placing your faith alone in Christ. The second could very well be that you have forgotten these truths and today is the first time you're reminded of it again in a long time and now you need to go to him. It also could be this, that maybe recently you have gotten away from abiding in his word. Oh, you've been maybe reading it, you've been going through your little uh, devotionals, which I encourage you to do, all of that, but you haven't allowed the word of God to change your thinking and when it does, you are then recognizing his love for you. You are filled with that love and you can go back and then pour that love out on other people. But let's go back to the passage again. It says, just as the Father loved me, I have loved you. If you'd like to know a great commentary on how much the Lord loves you, go to John chapter 13, verse 1. Look over there real quick. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The ultimate love that the Lord has for us is the love that he demonstrated on the cross when he died for us to forgive us of all of our sin. So he says, Just as the Father loved me, I love you. And that's how he loved. And then he says, now I want you to abide in my love. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.